And in your bulletin, <clears throat> there's a sermon outline, <clears throat> excuse me, I think will be helpful this morning, uh, with the sermon title, The Necessity of the New Birth. So we're going to be in, in John chapter 3 this morning, and I have this sermon theme. To be forgiven of your sins and to enter the kingdom of God, you must first be born again. Being born again results in believing in the Son of Man, who is Jesus the Christ. So we're going to read, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 23, and we'll, I'll read all the way down to chapter 3, verse 21. This is the very word of God. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light is come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds might be manifested, manifested and has been, as having been done in God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word has become flesh and has dwelt among us, that in Christ we see his glory. We see 
the glory in this word this morning, Father, and we're asking that through Jesus, through the power of your spirit, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to believe and understand the truth of scripture. Lord, we thank you, ask that you would strengthen me and help me, Lord, to explain this text well and that you would be glorified in this this morning. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I think about John's gospel letter, I couldn't help but to think it's kind of like an art gallery. You know, you go into an art gallery and there's all these beautiful paintings lined up down the wall. John's gospel is kind of like that. You know, Jesus is the master artist. And here we have in John's letter, each chapter is like a different picture that the Lord has painted. And we're going to take some time today to look at one one particular painting in John 3, the painting of the new birth. I think this imagery just kind of helps out a little bit, you know. It helped me as I was trying to think through it and try try to place this text thinking about these beautiful pictures, all of this teaching that the Lord has done. So, and just like, you know, a good painting, we don't want to interpret it however we desire. The artist has an artist intent that he has, and so when he paints the picture, there's a reason why. Unlike a painted picture, we don't get to just interpret it however we want to when we look at Scripture. Scripture has a meaning, and we want to know what that meaning is. And so today, that is my desire that we would see this meaning. So, and as we start, I just want to remind us John's purpose in writing his gospel letter. He tells us in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now my intention this morning is not to dig down as deep in this text as we could. Um, Back in 2018, Scott preached a sermon series called Holy Zeal. It's on our website where he dug down really deep in this text. And it's very encouraging. I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. But I have a couple things I think that we just kind of want to look at as we look at this text this morning. One, Jesus knows all men. Two, I want to look at this word believing. What does it really mean? And how does that apply to us today? So as we look back, um, starting in verse 23 of chapter 2, John puts this little note in there. And this little note is kind of like the little placard at the art museum. It tells you who the artist is, maybe when, when it was painted, and what the artist's intent was on the painting. Well, John places these throughout his letter in between different accounts of what Jesus has done, and he's doing that so that he can help his readers along the way. And so we saw that last week when Scott preached in chapter 3, verse 31, Remember, we took some time to see that it's not John the Baptist that was talking, but it was actually John the Gospel writer. And I think that here this morning, there's two reasons why he placed this. Number one, that there were attesting miracles that Jesus was doing as he taught in Jerusalem at the Passover. So often they're called signs, and these signs are to authenticate Jesus' teaching. 
They happened also in the Old Testament and all the way we read in the book of Acts. There's these attesting miracles that God does through his people as they teach to authenticate their word. And the second thing we see in this little section is that Jesus already knows what's in a person's heart. Just like Nathaniel, when Nathaniel comes to him, as we read back in chapter 1, verse 47, Jesus said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Jesus knows what's in man. And then John starts, Now there was a man. And we also want to remember that the chapter and verses are not originally in the letter. They're added later. So this is just a letter, and he would, you would read straight through it. And he says, For he himself knew what was in man, now there was a man. So we see the, we see the connection here. Now this man is Nicodemus. And John tells us that he was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. Now the Pharisees are the spiritual religious leaders of the people of Israel. And the rulers of the Jews would be the members of the Sanhedrin. That's the ruling body. Um, they would be kind of like our modern-day Senate. And we see that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And so there's people have different views on this, uh, different common commentaries that I've read. Um, one that the... Um, Sorry, the Pharisees, as they're teaching their people, that they would be doing it all day. So his time that was free would be at night for him to come and to meet Jesus. The second one is that um, Nicodemus was afraid of what others thought. Remember, Jesus is out teaching. A lot of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are not liking what he's doing. So that's a possibility. The third one, and... One that's definitely most likely is that John's kind of helping us to understand that Nicodemus is still in spiritual darkness. Nicodemus isn't fully understanding the way of salvation. That is Jesus. So I think definitely the latter two are, are there. Um, Nicodemus is concerned about what the other people were thought. He hasn't fully made up his mind on Jesus yet. That's why he's coming to Christ to 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 get some time with him, to talk with him, and that also he is in spiritual darkness. And I think we'll see that as we, as we move along. Well, Nicodemus makes the connection here that Jesus definitely has to be a teacher come from God because he's doing these signs. He's doing these attesting miracles. And so he, he knows that. So he comes to Jesus. And also Nicodemus would have been at the Passover. That was a requirement for the Jewish people, so Nicodemus would have been there, especially as a, as a ruler, and he would have witnessed the signs that Jesus was doing, along with many others. And so we pick up in verse 3, how does Jesus answer Nicodemus? So Nicodemus comes and, and says, you're a rabbi, I know you that you're a teacher, come from God, and Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, this phrase, born again, can also be translated born from above. Uh, either one's fine. They're both really, really good and helpful. Uh, we often translate it born again. And Jesus tells Nicodemus here that in addition to one's natural birth, one needs a spiritual birth to enter the kingdom of God. 
But why does Jesus respond to what Nicodemus comes to him and says with this statement? You ever think about that? He comes to him and says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God. And Jesus says, truly, truly, you must be born again. So why does, why does he do this? Well, we see here that in this account, just like in other people's accounts with Jesus, Jesus is going to drive the conversation. Jesus takes control of the conversation because he knows what's in man, and he knows what's in Nicodemus. He knows what Nicodemus needs. Jesus tells us, and Luke wrote down in 19, Luke 19.10, that Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. And so Jesus here is not trying to confuse Nicodemus. He's trying to teach him the true nature of what it means to be saved, that one must be born again. Well, I think that we'll see next, if you're using your outline, that Jesus is actually seeking Nicodemus. In verse, verse 4, Nicodemus says, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Well, Nicodemus here, his response shows us that he understands one thing, but he doesn't understand another. He understands that Jesus is teaching in the common way of the day, that they would use everyday things to explain uh, what they were teaching. But Nicodemus' question shows us that he doesn't understand what Jesus is getting at. Nicodemus now, he's not dumb. He is, Jesus will later call him the teacher of Israel. But he doesn't understand what Jesus is getting at. So Jesus goes on and he says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, I think when I read this, water and spirit, that this verse is, uh, for some of us, is one of those verses, and I do, I do this, that I just sometimes kind of read past. Water and the Spirit, not quite sure. I'm going to keep reading and just kind of keep, keep moving along, hoping that you'll get some clarity as we move. And sometimes our minds make the quickest connection. We read water and we think baptism. Just kind of happens that way, right? <clears throat> And some people do think that Jesus here is referring to baptism because he says water. You've got to be born of water and the Spirit. But I'm convinced after studying this passage for preparation for today that Jesus is not referring to baptism. And I have a couple reasons why. One, Jesus is talking about something that no one can do but God, that is to give life, right? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, well, to be born is a complete work of God. We see that back in Psalm 139, that God is the one that gives life. He's the one that knits us in our mother's womb. And this word born was also used earlier in John chapter 1, verse 13. <clears throat> John wrote, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. See, when John's writing his letter, he is intentional from the very first word to the very last word. Everything flows together. Second, <clears throat> I think about the account of 
uh, the crucifixion in Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43. And Jesus is hanging there on the cross, and the thief on one side of him says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, if the thief is hanging there on the cross, he doesn't have time to get down before his um, death that's fixing to happen to go and be baptized. So how does Jesus tell him that today you'll be with me in paradise if he has to first go be baptized? doesn't make any sense. Because Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. And third, let's think about who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to Nicodemus, right? Verse 10, tell, Jesus says, you are the teacher of Israel. So when Jesus is talking to the teacher of Israel, he's talking to one who would know his Old Testament. He knows his Bible. And Jesus is telling him something that, he, that would sound familiar to Nicodemus. So if not baptism, then what does this mean? Well, what is the best way to interpret Scripture? With scripture, good. Everyone already knows. The best way to inter interpret scripture is scripture. That's why there's the cross-references there, and they're very helpful. So in the Old Testament, water and the Spirit are closely linked together. And we see this in example in Isaiah 44, verse 3, that says, For I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So we see that, that link of pouring out in the Spirit. God's going to pour out His Spirit, that imagery. But Jesus here is definitely referring to Ezekiel chapter 36. Flip, flip back in the Old Testament. Find Ezekiel chapter 36. It's not too, too far back. And if you're not sure where it's at, I'll tell you as Molly tells the kids downstairs, go to the front, look at the Table of contents, find it, and you'll get there. So Ezekiel chapter 36. So in this section, God has concern for his holy name. And because of that, he says that he's going to vindicate himself. He's going to vindicate his holiness. He's going to vindicate his great name. And he's going to do that by starting in verse 24. We read, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all, all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances." So as we see this, I can't help but to see what the Lord's going to do, right? Verse 24, I will. Verse 25, I will. I will. I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you. This is what the Lord's going to do. And then I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. This clearly is the fact that the Lord is going to do this. This is not something that Israel needs to do. It's not something Israel can do. It's something that only the Lord can do, and that's what he tells us. So in the same way, 
this is what the, the Lord's going to do. Also, just trying to make the connection here for us in the New Testament with water and the Spirit. Um, and further along in John, Jesus is at one of the feasts, and he says, He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And then John writes this in verse 39, But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. See, here we even see in the New Testament that this imagery of the water and the Spirit are closely connected. One other place is if we look to Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Um, Paul was writing to, to Titus, and he, he tells him, picking up in verse 5, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, Paul picks up on this also, that this pouring out of the Spirit is often linked with pouring out of water. So that's... I believe that Jesus is just, in a sense, just telling Nicodemus, hey, you should know this. This is what happens. Just like God pours out his spirit in the Old Testament. To be born again, you must have the spirit of God poured out on you. And he goes on in verse 6, and he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's a distinction there. Nicodemus, there's an earthly birth, and then there's a spiritual birth. The natural birth is the one that God gives, and the supernatural birth is the one that God gives. And he tells him in verse 7, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Jesus explains here in verse 8 that the pouring out of the Spirit is, is the same as the wind. Nicodemus, you know and you understand the wind, right? You have no clue where it comes from. You have no clue where it's going. But you see the effects of the wind. So it is with those who are born again. You don't see the Spirit come. You don't see the Spirit's initial work. But you do see the effects of what the Spirit does in a person. So, what does Nicodemus do? He responds like we would respond. How can these things be? I don't understand. So why does Nicodemus answer Jesus this way? Jesus has already told him, do not marvel. He explains that the Spirit's coming is like the wind. But Nicodemus asks anyway. Nicodemus is the teacher of Israel. He should, Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? He should know this. Well, then I think we see that in starting in verse 9 down to 15, Jesus actually answers Nicodemus's question. Nicodemus answers Jesus' question. So in verse 11, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know 
and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Now, when Jesus says, the, says, I say to you, the first you is singular. He's speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, I say to you, we speak that which we know. And you, the second you is plural, you, you and those whom you are representing, do not receive our witness. So why do they not receive the witness that Jesus has? They've seen the signs. They've seen many signs. Jesus it says he's, he did many signs at the Passover. Many believed in his name. So, so why not Nicodemus? Why not the other Pharisees? Why not the members of the Sanhedrin? Well, they don't receive his witness because they don't believe his words. The signs are just signs, but his words give life. So in verse 12, Jesus tells him, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So again, uh, in this verse, it's kind of like in verse 5. Sometimes we say, okay, earthly, heavenly, I'm not quite sure. Or earthly, okay, Jesus is talking about the stuff down here, and heavenly is talking about the future things to come. But if we look closely at the words, Jesus says, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe. So what are the, what are the things that Jesus is telling him? Jesus is telling him that he needs to be born again. He's explaining to him that to enter the kingdom of God, he has to be born again. This is the earthly thing. Nicodemus, if you're not believing this, how are you going to believe if I tell you greater things? You know, like what the kingdom of God's like because I was there and I came down. What about how it's going to be to live with no more sin? If you can't understand these, you're not believing this, you're not going to be able to believe these greater things to come. No, there's no spiritual life unless a person is first born again. And Jesus goes on in verse 13 and says, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, what is Jesus getting at here in verse 13? Well, no one has ascended into heaven saying, no one has went up into heaven and received knowledge and teaching of these things and then come back down and explain it. But rather, I, who was in heaven, left my heavenly home and came down here on earth to teach the true way of salvation. Jesus is telling that he has the authority to speak about these things. See, Jesus is, again, using a term that Nicodemus would be familiar with. When he says, Son of Man, Nicodemus is going to thank Daniel. He's going to think about Daniel's letter. He's going to think about the, the one who ascends into heaven that receives the kingdom. And Nicodemus is, uh, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, I am the Son of Man. And then he goes on in verse 14 and says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now Jesus here is referring to Numbers chapter 21. Let's flip back to Numbers chapter 21. And we'll read this account together. So here in Numbers 21, the people of Israel have already left Egypt. God's taken them out of Egypt, and they're, they're in the wilderness. 
So starting in verse 4, Then they set out from Mount Or by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there, for there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord, that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall come about that everyone who was bitten, when he looks at, at it, he shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So the people are in the wilderness, they're going, they're going around, and they are grumbling, they're complaining. They don't, they don't like the journey, and they don't like this miserable food. Now, remember, this miserable food is the manna from heaven that God's providing for them. They don't like it. <clears throat> so the Lord sends a plague of fiery serpents. Uh, these are part of God's judgment on these people, Israel. And they recognize that because they come to Moses and say, we have sinned. They acknowledge that they've sinned, and they've asked that Moses would intercede for them with God. So Moses does. He goes and he intercedes for the people, and God tells him, make a serpent out of bronze, put it on a pole, he would lift it up, and then if any man was bit of the serpent, if he would look to the bronze serpent, he would live. So what's going on here? The bronze serpent on the pole was God's provision to the children of Israel, that when they were bitten by the plague of the serpents, that if they would look by faith to the bronze serpent and trust that God would save them, he would. If they would not, he didn't. Then they would receive a new physical life. They would pass out of the judgment of death and would receive new physical life. So Jesus tells Nicodemus that in the same way, he, the Son of Man, must be lifted up Back in John 3, back in, back in first, verse 15, Jesus says, In the same way, the Son of Man must be lifted up. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus here how he must be saved, how he could enter the kingdom of God. Here he answers Nicodemus' question. The kingdom of God is seen, verse 3, the kingdom of God is entered, Verse 5, through the new birth from above by the Holy Spirit, Spirit sent from God. At that moment, eternal life begins. And this, the new birth, is accomplished through the saving work of Jesus by being lifted up on the cross to bear God's just judgment for sin. This is received only by believing who Jesus is, that he's the Son of God. He's the true Son who comes down out of heaven that he's the perfect righteous son. Only by believing what he has done in his sin atoning death, which he will accomplish, not yet. Nicodemus has to look forward. We get, we're looking back, 
But Nicodemus is, is having to look forward by faith to this, his sinatoning death on the cross, and believing in his resurrection from the dead. We see here that Nicodemus is that Jesus is challenging Nicodemus to turn for turn to him for the new birth. Nicodemus, if you want to see and enter the kingdom of God, believe in me and be born again. So salvation has always been by faith. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of life, the free gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus. Salvation has always been by faith. So what about you here today? Jesus knows you. He knows everything about you. Maybe like Nicodemus, you have questions about Jesus, so you want to see. Like Nicodemus, this morning you've heard his word. You've heard the words of Christ. So I ask, do you see the necessity of being born again to be forgiven of your sins against God? Do you recognize that you've sinned against the holy God, that he's the one who's created not only this world, but you also, that he's the one who sent his son, that if you would believe in him, would grant you eternal life? But what does this word believe really mean? What does this word believe really mean? We use this word all the time. I saw this wooden, three foot tall, foot wide. It was red. Had a picture of an old guy with a beard and a hat. And on the bottom it said, believe. I'm not sure what they're getting at, <clears throat> but it says it. We uh, often use this word in an inappropriate way. But what does it mean to really believe? Well, this word, the definition of it, means to have faith in, to trust in, and to commit oneself to. So, how important then is believing in Scripture? Ever think about that? How important is believing? How about in John's Gospel alone? What if we just, we've been in John's Gospel with this Christmas ser sermon series. What if we just think about it in John's Gospel? Well, I actually looked it up. The word believe is the same exact word is used 98 times in this Gospel. 98 times in the Gospel. Out of the 21 chapters, believe is used in all but three of them. And this word believe is always used in either speaking of believing in Jesus or speaking of not believing in Jesus. This word also is used a total of 245 times in the New Testament. I mean, this is just, this word's just used a lot. And in John's Gospel especially, in John's, more than any other book, John's Gospel uses this word believe. And remember his purpose statement that he wrote these things that we would believe. So the receiving of this new life through being born again, spiritually born from above, is grounded in Jesus being lifted up on the cross. That's what Jesus is telling us here in verse 15, that to believe, he must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. So this morning, don't continue in unbelief. 
If you're here and you haven't trusted in Christ, stop. Think about this. Think about what he's saying. Think about this word believe. Think about the things you're believing in. Think about the things you're not believing in. And look to Jesus, the Son of Man, who was lifted up for your sins, if you would believe. Well then, last, verses 16 to 21, we see that Jesus is the true light of salvation. Jesus is the true light of salvation. I'm gonna, let's read these verses again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been done in God. Well, verses 16 to 21, most commentators agree that it's more likely John summing up Jesus' teaching in 1 to 15. Now, if you're like me and you have a red letter Bible, 16 to 21 is in red. So when I started looking at this, I was a little, little shocked. Because I just assumed, because it's in red, it's, it's Jesus' words. Now, not everyone believes that, but it seems likely, at least, that, that this is John summing up Jesus' teaching. He's, he's done it other places, and he'll continue to do it. And so in verse 16, what is it not saying? Well, it's not saying that the world's so great that God sent his son. Because the world's not great. Remember, the world's under the curse of sin. It's not saying that there's everyone's saved. Jesus came so everyone can be saved. It's, it's not saying that because it says, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So therefore, not believing would be to not have eternal life. So it's not saying that everyone gets to be saved. And I think it would be helpful if we read the verse and just focused on this. For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. So this is how God loves the world. God loves the world that he sent his son. He didn't have to send his son into the world. He could have left us in our sin. could have sent us to eternal judgment. And he would be just and perfect and righteous in that. But he didn't. God provided the way of salvation through Christ. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. And this word world, though, should encourage us greatly. We should be encouraged that John places this here because he's letting us know that this salvation isn't for Israel only. That this salvation is for the whole entire world, offered to all. And Jesus says, and later on John will write this in chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. 
we should be greatly encouraged that this salvation has been provided for us too who are not from Jewish descent. And he goes on that God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. Now, I know we're past Christmas, but this is part of our Christmas sermon series. And we're think, we always think about Jesus' first advent, his first coming. And in Jesus' first coming, he came to be the Savior, not to be the judge. So he says in verse 18, He who believes in him is not judged. Praise God. Praise God. But he who does not believe has been judged already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. How important is believing in Jesus? It's eternally important. Jesus says in John 8, 24, Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins, for you, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The judgment of God is poured out on those who are unbelieving, those who have not received salvation by being born again. And then as we go on, <clears throat> this last section, 19 to 21, this is the judgment. We saw this already, right? We saw this back in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. See, to a lot of people's unbelief and maybe even dissatisfaction, everyone is actually born in spiritual darkness. Everyone is born a sinner in open rebellion to God. So, not loving God, rather than loving, sorry, not loving God, they rather loved the darkness of their sin. And we too, we too were this way. The person in verse 20 doesn't want to come to the light for fear of being exposed. Because exposure to sin, sorry, exposure to the light brings conviction of sin and the shame of sin. So they stay in the darkness. They don't want to come to the light. We were the same way. We were the same way. Conviction's good. Conviction comes by God. If you're being convicted of your sin and you haven't turned to God, I pray that you would. Don't stay in the darkness. Jesus says in 8.12, John 8.12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. See, the person in verse 21 has been born of the Spirit. And the person in verse 21 desires then to practice the truth. They desire that their deeds, the things that they do, that have been done through God, causing them to be born again, would be to God's glory. And John's purpose of hanging this beautiful masterpiece of Jesus' teaching here this morning is in hope that his readers would turn, by faith, to the lifted up Son of Man so that they would be born again and gain eternal life. Well, that is a, a brief um, account of <clears throat> this. And I thought, as I was thinking about this, reading this, I couldn't help but to, when I was looking up the word believe and I was counting down through, I was looking at the scriptures and uh, seeing what it says, 
I couldn't help but to just be greatly encouraged. So I wanted to provide some scriptural encouragement for those who are already born again, for those who are believers. What about us? What about us? Well, I put down in, your, in the sermon outline just the, just the verses. Um, I'm not going to belabor them. I'm going to spend a little bit of time just kind of reading them, and then I have a point for each one. So maybe take some time later on to go back through and to dig down in those. So the first one is John 12, 46. It says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Believing is not remaining in the darkness of your sin through Jesus. Believing is to not remain in the darkness of your sin through Jesus. John 1.12 But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Well, here we see believing is to become a child of God through Jesus. Believing is to become a child of God through Jesus. And then in John 9, Jesus heals the man born blind. And later, Jesus heard that they had put him out. They put him out of the synagogue. And he goes and he finds him. And he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped. We see here that believing is to worship Jesus. Believing is to worship Jesus. In John chapter 4, uh, Jesus is with the Samaritan woman at the well, and he has an encounter with her. And then she goes back into the town and she says to the people of the town, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. Here we see that believing is to tell others about Jesus. Just like the Samaritan woman. In John's purpose statement, I'll read it again in John 20. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We see here that believing is to have life, true life, in Jesus. And then lastly, in John 11, is where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and he's, he's speaking with Martha, and he, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. We see here that believing is to receive the future resurrection from Jesus. I hope these are encouraging to you as they were to me. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that even though we are sinners, you are rich in mercy to give your son. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are so loving that you would come into the world, that you would be the sin-toning one, the one who provides salvation to all who would believe. Lord, we pray that if there are those here today who are not believing, who have not trusted in you, who have not committed themselves to you, turning from sin and turning to you, Lord, we pray that you would draw them, that you would send your spirit and you would cause them to be born again. Lord, we thank you that in Christ we do have the hope of the future resurrection. Lord, I pray that we each would desire to know Christ more, that we would think about this word believing, that we would apply it to our daily lives, and that you would be glorified through us. Lord, would you bless us this year as we go out? Would you bless this church? Would you help us to grow in Christ's likeness? Lord, would you bring people here that they would be saved from their sins, that your kingdom would be full of your worship and praise. To you alone belongs the glory. We ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen.